You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, pardon the interruption, but just a quick message from me to let you know about the leadership survey we have just placed on the website. Here at The Great Coaches, we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, but we have gone back to the transcripts of the more than 200 great coaches we've interviewed to identify their key leadership traits. We've then created a survey of 20 questions to help you compare your leadership style to theirs. It's free, only takes a few minutes to complete, and should help you find areas of relative strength and weakness. If you'd like to know more, check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Mark Lebedieu. Mark is an Australian volleyball coach and former player. He started coaching in the early 90s, eventually joining the Australian Institute of Sport as a coach in 1997 where he also served as an assistant coach on the Australian men's team at the Sydney 2000 Olympics. In 2010, he became a head coach of the Berlin Recycling Volleys, and in 2012, 2013 and 2014, the team won the German Championship. In 2015, the team also won the bronze medal in the European Champions League, while in 2017 he led Jastrzebski Wigel to the bronze medal in the Polish League, and from 2017 to 2019, He was also the coach of the Australian national team and led them to a silver medal at the 2019 Asian Championships. He is also coached in Italy, Belgium and Poland and is currently the head coach of German club VfB Frederick Schaffen. Mark is a coach with a truly global perspective. His teams are made up of many different nationalities. In fact, his present one has eight and he has coached in five different countries as well as at the Olympics, World Championships, World League and Volleyball Nations League. And this gives him a unique insight into the dynamic that shapes and propels high performance. He's both a student and a practitioner of the craft of coaching, 
and believes that the great coaches are playing a game inside their head 24 hours a day. He believes that teamwork from the six players, all usually well over six feet tall on the nine by nine metre court, is more important than jumping two centimetres higher or hitting with five kilometres more of attack speed. And to achieve this, he is focused on helping players understand their role and execute it to the best of their ability. Some of the other key highlights from this discussion were his views on how human history has evolved through the act of getting better, and how he applies this thinking to innovation and developing new techniques in his team. The importance of controlling your emotions so that team members can have faith in you to lead them through any difficult situation they may be facing, and how he doesn't mind people having egos as it's an intrinsic motivator, as long as they don't lose the ability to work with others within the team. This was a great conversation with a truly global coach, and I hope you enjoyed as much as Jim and I did. And just before we go to the interview, if you're a first-time listener, you can check out our archive of interviews with other great coaches at our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And while you are there, if you would like to help our podcast, which is fully independent and free from ads, you can follow the link to our Patreon page where we offer exclusive content to our supporters. And now, please enjoy our interview with Mark Lebedew. The Great Coaches Podcast. So Mark Lebedew, good afternoon and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Good afternoon. It's great to be here. I love hearing a friendly Australian voice on a Sunday afternoon at the end of summer in Europe. And I'm very much looking forward to today's discussion on volleyball, Mark. First time I've chatted to a volleyball coach. I hope it won't be the last. No, it definitely won't be because we're going to get into that fast flying ball and those team formations in depth. But Mark, maybe just something really simple to kick us off. I know you're Australian, but could you tell us where you are in the world today and what you've been up to so far? Well, right this very minute, I'm sitting in the delightful lakeside city of Friedrichshafen in the south of Germany on Lake Constance. I can see from my balcony, Switzerland and Austria, maybe one or the other, maybe both. Don't know, it's just mountains. I'm a professional volleyball coach. I am Australian with European parentage uh, and have been in Europe for the last nearly 20 years. I've coached clubs in Germany, Belgium, Italy and Poland over that period of time and coached a lot of different people in different places. And, of course, I have to coach the Australian national team. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into that and getting your perspective on teams from that very global experience base that you've got. But, Mark, maybe we could start by just talking about some of the great coaches that you've had firsthand experience with. I can see there's Vital Hainan, there's Giovanni Guidetti, and there's Michele. And that's just the tip of the iceberg because on your own website, you've also interviewed other great volleyball coaches. But maybe if I could start by asking you from your perspective and your experience, what is it you think that the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? It's a great place to start. What I found and what you're referring to there is a volleyball coaching wizards project that I was involved with where we interviewed over 30 coaches from different levels and different teams around the world. And the thing that came out of that was that from that particular exercise was the amount of lifelong learning that was involved. So volleyball coaches are lifelong learners. Uh, From my own experience, the other really important or really common traits of 
of coaches are a high degree of passion, like absolutely passionate about some part of it, some passionate about teaching, some are passionate about the sport, some are passionate about the tactics, but as a group of people, uh, volleyball coaches, and I'm sure all coaches, but volleyball coaches I know the best, ones who are playing some game inside their head 24 hours a day. And they're also really, really competitive. And those two things are the things that drive people to become coaches and the willingness and the capability to continue to learn and push and progress is the thing that makes good coaches great, if you want to put it that way. Mark, you've got a degree in exercise and sports science. Knowing what you know now, 20 years outside of Australia coaching professionally, what do you wish they'd taught you at university back then? The exact degree that I did was an interesting one because it was attached to the, at the University of South Australia, was actually an offshoot of their physical education teaching course. So it was actually more of a coaching background than a scientific background, which is a little bit different from, for example, the University of Queensland, the sports science course, which is very heavily science-based. But in all of the education, the coach education, the one thing that's missing that I've found is, is about the coaching, about the importance of the coaching part. So coaching courses tend to focus on the scientific elements of it, the physiology, the biomechanics, and not about the everyday coaching, how to how to, to communicate with people, how to convince people to do the things that you want them to do, how to really simple things about leading a team. So Mark, you played in the Australian national team, but then at the ripe old age of 21, you decided you wanted to be a coach. Now, was there a person or an event that ignited this passion to coach within you? It's an interesting story, I guess, because the main catalyst for me to decide to become a coach was really the desire to avoid any sort of real life. So I was playing at the time I was in Germany playing with a semi-professional team. I wasn't actually enjoying it, which makes the decision even odder in retrospect, but I had been studying economics. I looked a little bit at my life. I wasn't enjoying the study. And the only thing that I could really imagine doing for a longer period of time was something to do with volleyball. And the two options that I could see were administration. There was opportunity to work in volleyball administration. And even though my father had been president of Australian Federation for some time and longtime secretary of various sporting bodies, that didn't interest me or excite me at all. And the only other way I could think of being involved with volleyball for a longer period of time was coaching. And I remember sitting at that age with no experience of really anything at all and thinking, well, the very least I'll be able to work in Europe. There's lots of places that that employ coaches. So that's it. That was the decision. And that was not quite the amount of time that I spent thinking about it, but not much less. And then when I came back to Australia at the end of the season, there was the opportunity to study sports science. It seemed like a good pathway Turned out to be an excellent pathway and basically that was the beginning point. I didn't think that I would actually coach until I was in my 30s, for example, that I would play 
for much longer. But uh, as it turned out, I had an injury and ended up starting to coach when I was 23 or 24 and more or less continuing from that moment. You have a Russian background and you worked with your father to translate perhaps the most famous volleyball coaching text ever written, My Profession, The Game, and it was the last book by the legendary Russian coach, Vyshlev Platonov. I hope I got the name right. And I'd like to know, what are the top three things that you learnt about coaching from this project? It was a really interesting project. Platonov is one of the great volleyball coaches from the Soviet era. He coached a team that won multiple world championships, Olympic Games, European Championships, was essentially unbeaten in world or international competition for eight years, I think. He wrote a few books and my father was acquainted with him through his work and read the book and thought that it would be interesting for my brother and I and together we decided that he would do the translation work and he translated the book and it remains to me one of the most if not the most important coaching book that I've read because of the way that he approaches the profession which is a little bit is in the title and I've read a lot of coaching books by coaches books about coaching and nearly all of them have some sort of philosophical basis, some thing about the importance of coaching as a human development activity, something about the ideals of sport and Olympism and a lot of the things that we're familiar with in Australia, US, Great Britain, for example. But his approach to coaching was as essentially a practical exercise. So whenever I have to describe the book, I think of it or how his vision of coaching, I always think of him as being a, as being a craftsman or a, something similar to that. So it's full of actual practical lessons about how to go about coaching and what happens when you're working with a team and the difficulties that you face in the management of the team and ways that you can improve that work with the team. So it's a really practical guide and it's, I think, off the top of my head, it's the only coaching book I've ever read that takes that approach. So your original question was, what are the three things? And really, there's only one thing that there's a lot of a lot of lessons, of course, through the book, but the main thrust of it, the main theme of it is coach as a craftsman. And that's the big takeaway, the big lesson that I've learned from that book. And I think that in that context, it's a great book for all, all team sport coaches. Well, your apprenticeship, your work on this project, this focus on being a craftsman leads you to Berlin in 2010 and you become the coach of the Berlin Recycling Volleys. And the team go on this amazing run. They win the championship in 2012, 2013, and 2014. So three in a row. Very difficult to do in any sport. What were some of the things that you first did when you arrived at that team that drove that result? I've had some similar experiences now in different clubs, in different leagues, different countries. And in the case of Berlin was that, It was a team that was in a big city. 
It had some reasonable support. It had a good budget, a very good budget, but had over the recent past underperformed in relation to certainly the budget and in a way the expectations of the club. But what I found firstly was that the club, the team at least had a kind of, and this is common in professional sport, at least in volleyball, in a we'll do our best and see what happens kind of mentality. So the first thing really that I did was to change the expectations of the group in terms of uh, what's possible in playing, what's possible in matches, but really at a micro level. So how what's possible in every action. Every action in the game can be a little bit better. And if we do X, Y, and Z, then we have a really great chance of outcome uh, A, algebra, not obviously my thing, but by changing the expectations of the small things along the way, we found very quickly that we could compete and beat the top teams who had been beating us the previous years. And in the first year, we won the semi-final against the top team, or we ended up being equal with three, but three teams, but we won the toughest semi-final and ended up losing the final, but it set in motion the change in expectations that we were able to make use of in in following years. And how about the expectations on yourself? Did they change and evolve when you arrived there? I don't think so. My expectation and whether this is something Australian, some inferiority complex or some misplaced superiority complex, I don't know, but I never think that I can win and it doesn't matter what the situation and I look at the game and the opponent and I see the strengths and weaknesses of the team and I can always see a path to winning in a particular game and the reality is if you win enough of those particular games you end up at the pointy end of the season and you have a chance to win the whole thing and that's been my approach from the beginning in in every club that I've been at and also with the Australian national team. And over the course of nearly 20 years now, I think that I have been able to exceed the expectations of each team in virtually every place I've coached. I guess, Mark, this kind of confidence or self-belief isn't always as prevalent within the team, within the players in the team. Is there any particular method or way that you found useful in building more belief or confidence within a group? I'm not sure that I would describe whatever it is that I do as having, as being based in high self-confidence. I think it's much more likely to be based in a fear of being found out. But that part of it aside, I really think it's the focus on the steps of the way and being able to explain what it is, how to, firstly, how to go from each step to each step and also what the possible things are at the end of that pathway. So being able to explain the steps, how they fit in with each other and what it can possibly lead to, what I would say is the methodology, if you will. Hi everyone, I'm here with Professor Eric Knight, 
the Executive Dean of the Macquarie Business School, and he's just stepped out of the classroom. Eric, how do the programs offered by the school help prepare people for the future? Well, part of it is about preparing students to think about the outside world and seeing the changes and how that looks different. But it's also about people's inside world and how they draw from their inner purpose and motivation to be able to build careers that are meaningful for them over a very long time. Thanks, Eric. The master's programs at the Macquarie Business School, designed to empower you, challenge you, and transform the way you think. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. A nice quote I've got from you, Mark. I'd like to read it to you actually before I read the question. You've said. The way people did it in the past is not the way, the best way to do things now. It's a starting point, but it's not the best way. And so I wanted to ask you, how important is innovation in your coaching philosophy? My innovation to me is the cornerstone, is finding better ways to do things. But your, my quote, your starting point here is not something that's necessarily literally true, but it's certainly the way I approach every problem. So as human history has evolved, people have got better at doing things and the way that they've got better is always by change, by changing something, by looking at something a different way, by developing new techniques. And obviously there are a lot of things that they looked at and tried to get make better that they couldn't, but progress was never looking at something and saying, you know what, that's just about fine the way it is. So... I'm always trying to figure out a better way to understand it, to look at it, to explain it, and that's innovation in that sense is the cornerstone of the way that I think about coaching. And perhaps in some way that does come from specifically from being Australian and in volleyball in that we have inbuilt weaknesses in the ter- in sense of a relatively small base of players, not very good competitive system. And so the only way as an Australian to think about being better was to, or to reach a high level was to do things in a completely different way because to do things in the same way as the Soviet Union did, that just is not possible because... The level of resources, the level of interest is just not the same. I was actually interested to read your thoughts recently on the need for coaches to control their emotions in a way that players don't have to. Could you talk a little bit about why you think this is so important? There's a couple of different things. The first one is that I strongly believe that when a player looks at the coach or looks at any leader, what that person, what that team member has to see is somebody who is in control of the situation. So that might not mean that they have the answers at that exact moment in time, but they have control of the process and given a few moments or whatever the time frame is, we'll be able to find the solution to the problem that we're in. 
And in volleyball, that's specifically a game situation when we're three points down or the referee has made a call that we don't agree with, then the players look at the coach and, in my opinion, what they want to see is somebody who can lead them out of what the situation is. And if the coach is jumping up and down and screaming and yelling at people and waving his arms in the air and all of those things that you see coaches do on TV, I can't see how a player could look at that coach and say, well, all we have to do is follow that lunatic and he will take us out of the problems that we have. So that's really the background of that thought. From a personal point of view, I also find that controlling my emotions, as difficult as that may be at times, it actually helps me to make, for the most part, better decisions in the the heat of the action. Any particular methods you use to control your emotions? No. The basic thing is to control my emotions. I, I don't have any little trick other than saying that I'm not going to jump up and down. Now, of course, if you spend a little bit of time with me, there are, everybody has their tells. So with me, you can probably see my face change a little bit. And there are some other things, of course, but how you stand and whatever. But the main thing is I just say, no, I'm not going to be that guy. When you talk about teamwork in volleyball, I've got this quote where you say, it's actually more important than jumping two centimetres higher or five kilometres per hour of attack speed. So I wanted to ask you, what do teams with great interactivity have in a volleyball team that others don't? I'm absolutely convinced and that the most important thing in success, you know, at any level of volleyball is the ability of the group to work together in all of the different ways that that means. And the way that that manifests itself on the court when in what you can see in the game is really simply players doing the thing that they have to do at the right time. That can be playing the ball. So the person who has to play the ball plays the ball and the people who don't have to play the ball do the other thing that they have to do. So to move into position, to play the next ball, to cover Whatever that is, it's players doing the right thing at the right time. And in volleyball, like in nearly every sport, that thing is different for every player. I have another great quote from you, Mark. And you say, social and cultural context, level of athletes, power structure of the program, sport and gender are just a few of the contexts that impact the coach's work. So when you first enter a new team, potentially in a new country, What are the top steps you take to ensure that you understand the context in that team? The origin of that quote, the thing that prompted me to think along those lines was the, a lot of attention that's paid to the All Blacks in particular as being a team that has a great culture that everybody should study and copy. And the All Blacks do indeed, by all accounts, have a wonderful culture that is certainly admirable and would be effective in a lot of different places. The slightly complicating factor, though, is that the place that the All Blacks hold in New Zealand society, 
And because All Blacks are so important to all of New Zealanders, you can work with them in a completely different way. And their motivations for working are completely different than professional volleyball players who met coming together. In my team this year, I have eight different nationalities. They're not going to see each other again. They don't have a connection with the city, with the town, with each other, except for the nine months that they're going to be together. So as a coach, the thing that I have to find out fairly quickly is what are the individual motivations for each of the players? Everybody has a slightly different motivation. In a lot of cases, I can know at least part of that before I arrive by talking with them, by talking with people they know and piecing together a few things. And those motivations are wide and varied. Some people want to make more money. Some people want to go to a better league. Some people want to win. Some people want a quiet life. And all teams are basically made up of some combination of all of those people. You don't want to have too many people who want a quiet life, but it is advantageous to have one or two because they don't cause any trouble. And then to just to work on the individual motivations of the players and for the most part, explain to them how working together in a group, in this group in particular for this period of time, will help them to achieve their individual motivations, to find a better team, to get more money, to whatever that motivation is. Well, talking about trouble and eight different nationalities, I guess conflict could be prevalent or maybe not so prevalent when you've got different cultural people. Maybe they just are more wary of it and they keep distance from each other. But when it comes to managing disruption within a team, are there any particular tools or methods you use that have been more effective than others? This is probably going to fly in the face of everybody else that you've ever talked to, but the biggest, the most effective method I've found of dealing with at least small conflicts is to mostly ignore them, to note them, to see that they're happening, and then to move on. A lot of the environment that we work in is fairly high intensity. We spend a lot of time together in small places. So volleyball court's not very big. The change rooms are normally small and smelly. Uh, the team bus is, is also small. We're in hotels together. So there is a lot of opportunity for daily problems, just getting a little bit tired of each other. We are tired. We're physically, mentally tired. So there's lots of little small things that happen and nearly all of those things don't mean anything. It's just somebody hasn't had their coffee yet. It's somebody's tired today, but after sleeping on it, they're fine. So one of the most effective things is just to, like I said, note, see, note, and then mostly ignore the small things that happen on a day-to-day basis. Mark, I've read it across your blog in depth and the weekly messages or posts you put out about coaching and you do focus a lot on collaboration. It seems to be a key theme. So if someone wanted to improve collaboration within their team, what would be the one or two top things you'd advise them to do? The biggest thing about collaboration is that you're allowed to be wrong about things. So I can be wrong and I can admit to being wrong And that certainly allows people the freedom to collaborate. The ability to be wrong about something, to say, to have a to and fro that's actually open. You need to 
have some control over your ego. And the thing that I'm getting caught on in my head is that I actually don't mind people to have egos. And I think the, the ego is an intrinsic motivator that you don't want people to lose. So to control some part of their ego to allow them to work with others is probably the second thing. I imagine in volleyball, though, you said it's a confined space. And yeah. you've got these, I mean, many of these players, right, are six foot five, six foot six, some of them are seven foot tall. They have a very small space to work within. So I guess connecting that with ego, they have to stay within their space and not go hunting in other space to make up for a perceived weakness. So you must have to find a way to manage that. So is the ability to do your job and let the next person do theirs. The most effective collaboration is when people understand exactly what their roles are at any particular moment. And on the court, and that's something that we've already talked about, is that that it's a really dynamic environment where the roles change from second to second during a game. But off the court, it's just as important that we understand what the, the our individual roles, the coach, the assistant coach, the, the player, the the boss of the change room, the because there's always one of those, and that we not only understand what the roles are, we fulfil our roles as we need to, but we also allow others to fulfil their roles. And that is the essence of collaboration. I wanted to say I have something floating in my head about ego in that context as well, but ego is not something that I think we need to suppress because ego is, of course, what drives intrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation is the most important driver of performance. So I never want to suppress someone's ego, perhaps help them to manage it or guide it in certain directions at certain times. So Mark, you've been expatting now for 20 years, coaching around the world, hopefully got 20 more to go at least. What's the legacy you'd eventually like to be remembered for from the people who you've coached along the way? One of the slightly annoying things about the progression, the wanting to progress and continue to improve and get better is that you never, or at least I, never have a chance to really think about anything else other than the next step. So I don't ever think about things like legacy or even what what I'm going to do in a few weeks. But since you've asked the question, probably... If there's one thing that I would like when it's all said and done is that people thought of me as having made uh, volleyball a tiny bit better. Well, great way to finish. I'm not so sure the word tiny matches with what I've seen with volleyball, but I guess if you do make it a tiny bit better, that would be a wonderful legacy. So, Mark Leberju, thank you so much for your time this Sunday afternoon. I've enjoyed chatting with you and I wish you all the best for the season ahead with your new team. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to share our Sunday afternoons. Hi, everyone. It's Jim here. You've been listening to the great coach, Mark Leverdue. The key highlights for me were the most effective method of dealing with small conflicts is to note them, evaluate them, but mostly ignore them, as they're usually attributed to a small event like a lack of sleep or a morning coffee that is temporary. 
the importance of lifting expectations when you first take over the team, and the story he shares about leading Berlin to the championship to illustrate this. The importance of knowing your role and not trying to do someone else's in the confined space that is the volleyball court, and wanting to leave a legacy where he leaves volleyball just a tiny bit better. I hope you enjoyed this as much as Paul and I did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then let us know. Just like Cody Royal from Canada, who said, you're doing such great work, lads, keep it up. And Padmini Joel from India, who thinks the great coaches are really great. Cody, Padmini, thanks for those comments. It's the interaction with the people around the world who listen to us, give us great energy. All the details on how to connect with us and other people who are interested in the leadership insights from great sports coaches are available in the show notes. Marketers and business owners, you've been pining after a certain someone. Your job's on the line. You're desperate for them to like you back. Here's a word of advice from me. Talking is hot. Just you and them, finally alone like us two right now. Maybe under the duvet, headphones on, one-on-one. Podcast advertising is proven to be one of the best ways to catch their attention. So surprise them while they're tuned in, while the moment's right. Say a line or two that really gets them going. Next time, if you want to win over your special someone and build some brand love, experiment with something new, just focus on your voice. Advertise on more than 100,000 podcast shows with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.